Colossians chapter 1. Let me read verses 24 to 29. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister, a servant, according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Now, as I read this passage, there is a statement in this passage that I would dare say strikes, jumps off the page and smacks us when Paul says, I will be filling up in my flesh, in my earthly walk, what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. And we hear that statement, wait, 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 what in the world, Paul, are you talking about? Something lacking in the afflictions of Christ? Paul has already laid out in the earlier part of this letter the mighty work of God the Son. He is the image of the invisible God. He is God the Son, fully God. Fully God. Everything that you could say of God the Father as to His innate being You could say of God the Son as to His innate being. You could say of God the Holy Spirit as to His innate being. God the Son is as much God as God the Father. God the Holy Spirit is as much God as God the Son and God the Father. They are equal. They are not the same in their job descriptions, but they are fully God. Each of them. And yet, And Jesus Christ came, and Paul, shockingly, especially from the pen of a Pharisee, calls Jesus the image, (laughs) the idol, if you will, of the invisible God. Why did God forbid idolatry? It's in the Ten Commandments. You shall have no graven image, neither from stone nor from wood or... They couldn't possibly come up with an idol that wouldn't lie. That wouldn't lie about God. That wouldn't diminish him. That wouldn't just be absolute failure. And so they were told there is to be no image, no idol, because you just flat couldn't get it done right. It would be an utter failure. And yet here is God the Son become flesh. And what does Paul call him? He is the image of the invisible God. What did Jesus himself say? And as we were in this passage earlier, he who has seen me 
has seen the Father. Well, he's not talking about visual appearance. He's talking about the words that he spoke, the acts that he carried out. I am, he was undiminished deity. Undiminished deity. Everything you could say in the reality of the essence of the Father, you could say of the Son. He is the image of the invisible God. And he reconciled us to his Holy Father. When he went to the cross, he went as that sacrifice. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He fully satisfied heaven's just holiness, holy requirements of us. He took all of the hell all of the lake of fire for an eternity that you and I deserve. He took it on himself on the cross, paid sin's penalty for the entire human race on the cross. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. This is good advice. My little children, these things I write to you, that you might not sin. Don't sin. And if anyone sins, we, John is including himself, have an advocate, a defense attorney, a high priest with the Father, even Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. He satisfied the holy demands of heaven regarding our sin, the guilt of our sin giving his Holy Father perfect, glad freedom to forgive you and me. To forgive you and me. And he does so gladly, for God so loved the world. And when those, ears, those words struck the eardrums of Nicodemus, to whom Jesus is speaking, I would dare say that the Pharisee Nicodemus is like... Now, we've heard that verse so many thousands of times, it doesn't... God so loved the world? What? Yeah. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And Paul has been dwelling on that reality. We have been reconciled to the holy God by virtue of Jesus' sacrificial work on the cross, by the help of God's Holy Spirit, just as Brandon was presenting to us earlier, it is God the Holy Spirit who takes His truth and makes it alive to us so that we are embraced by His promises and we embrace them back. Things that had formerly perhaps been dead letters to us become alive by the work of the aggressive work of God the Holy Spirit, and we are brought into the kingdom as His forgiven, sanctified, made holy children. And that has been emphasized by Paul up through verse 23. And then he adds what I've already read to you. I now rejoice 
in my sufferings for you. He's been speaking about the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's talking about his sufferings. Hey, folks, I've got some good and bad news for you. (laughs) Suffering awaits all of God's servants, God's people. Suffering awaits us because God is going to test us. He's going to put us in difficult situations, and he's going to use us in difficult situations that will be painful. And oh, by the way, the ultimate outcome of that, just in a between you, us and God thing, well, he's enhancing our kingdom glory experience that we will dwell in for eternity. And so when we get into his presence, nobody's going to stand back and say, well, that was a too big a price to pay for. No, we're going to be blown away by the glory poured out on us. And we'll say, Lord, yeah, I'm really, that was suffering, but this is a real reward. Wow. This is outrageous. Paul says, I am suffering for you. What is God's ultimate purpose? The work of Jesus on the cross was the foundation of the redemptive work. Then God's people, Jesus is ascended into heaven. He is with us. He's with us here. But now the suffering and message spreading responsibility has been handed off to us. And we will endure suffering for Jesus' sake as, the go- as we are speaking the gospel out in the community and the more loud you are, the greater the opposition will be. And what does the Apostle Paul say? I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh, in my earthly walk, in my humanity, what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Wait a minute. Hey, my followers, I laid the foundation. I paid sin's penalty for you. Your job is to take that message out and you will. What's the ultimate goal? To create this enormous body of redeemed people. And in that construction enterprise you will suffer. Jesus suffered in laying the foundation and you will suffer in the building of the edifice, which is made up of us. We are stones. We are stones. He's the precious cornerstone, but we are the building that is being erected. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you why? Because I, can, I know what the outcome of my sufferings is designed to be and will be. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh, in my earthly walk, in my humanity, what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body. There is this enterprise of building the body and we will step into the sharing of Jesus' sufferings in the building of the edifice, in the building of the church. What is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, the ecclesia. 
Now, let me throw a little thing in here. It's very, the word ecclesia, that we translate church, is a real interesting word. If you look in the New Testament, very little interesting factoid is that the word church only occurs in one of the Gospels. Now, as part of the Jewish vocabulary, they all spoke Greek, as part of their vocabulary, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have, as the pinnacle, as the climax of all three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is Jesus says to the apostles, who do men say that I am? And they reply, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're the the promised uh, prophet in the book of Deuteronomy. Some say you're Elijah. And who do you say that I am? And Peter, speaking on behalf of all of them, says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I'll say that. Only Matthew adds this next statement. You are Petras, Peter. You are Petras, which is the masculine form of that word in the Greek language. It means a fist-sized stone. You are Petras. And on this Petra, feminine form of the same word, rock of Gibraltar-sized stone, I will build my church, ecclesia. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I would dare say, now, none of the apostles say, what are you talking about? <laughs> They're just kind of like, what was that about? Now, it's a word in the vocabulary, but not in their religious vocabulary. Jesus uses that word church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then in chapter 18, two chapters later, he gives this little segment that's just kind of like there, standing on its own, where he talks about church discipline. And he uses the word church two more times in that paragraph. That's it for all of the Gospels. And then you've got the book of Acts, and all of a sudden we have the day of Pentecost, we have a, and we have the birthday of the church, we have the word church being used over and over again and all the epistles. And what is the church? The church, what does Paul say? I'm going to make up in my flesh what is lacking the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister, a servant, according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me. I'm a steward. I have responsibility in the household. And in all the households, they had to have stewards. They were of different responsibilities. You go, you take a seat in an airliner. And you have these females who are called stewardesses. That's the female version of steward. What do they do? They have a responsibility of making announcements, keeping the bad guys and keeping people in order, bringing them their refreshments. They have, if it's a male, they're called a steward. I have a steward. I have a responsibility in the household, Paul says. According to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you. God gave me a responsibility to carry out, to carry out, to benefit you, to advance this project. Oh, by the way, you share in that same steward. Every single follower of Jesus is a steward. We all have 
responsibilities as his people, as his followers, to other people in the body or people outside the body whom he is drawing into the body. We all have a stewardship. We all have a responsibility in the household. According to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. There was a, God had a secret. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, remember Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians were all written by Paul while he's under house arrest in Rome, which is where you find him at the close of the book of Acts. The most extensive description of what he's going to say here, we find in his letter to the Ephesians, the close of chapter 2 and through chapter 3 and really into chapter 4. You have this whole layout about the church. And he uses that word again, that word mystery. The Greek, in its, it means a secret. In the Greek text, it's the word mousterion. And frankly, our translators blew it. Instead of translating the word, they just transliterated the word. So mousterion became mystery, which we have as an English word. But in the, the bare meaning in the Greek language was a secret. God had a secret. God had a secret. Now, I've used this illustration before, so you've probably heard it before. If you've been here for a while, please forgive me. I'm going to do it to you again anyways. Way back, about now, about uh, close to 120 years ago, there was a guy who was a football player for this little podunk, school up in Indiana called Notre Dame and he was the uh that he in in those days football was played to both directions the same team played defense and offense and uh what was his name he became the great coach famous coach Knut Rockney was playing football for Notre Dame and they're running the ball back and forth, back and forth. And Knut Rockney pulled aside the quarterback one day, just privately. And he said, I've come up with an idea. And I'd like us to just privately, just the two of us, work on this idea. And it was called the forward pass. That had never been done in football. And here is this member of the team. This, he's the end on the end of the line. He's the end. And he pulls the quarterback aside privately. And they practice this thing called a forward pass where the quarterback would throw the ball down the field. That had never been done in a football game. And so this is about 1904, 1905, thereabouts. And they're playing that illustrious team called West Point. And they're just supposed to be run over by the West Point team. And they are getting run over by the West Point team. And when Knut Rockney pulls the quarterback aside, and you know that play we've been practicing, just the two of us, let's do it. We're getting stomped anyways. Let's give it a try. And so Knut Rockney, when they line up for the next play, he goes down to the sideline. He's lined up properly. Everything he's doing is legal. But he's down by, and I guess the, the West Point players are like, well, I guess he's tired of getting the snot beat out of him. 
And so when the, for the first time in a football game, when the center hiked the ball to the quarterback for the first time, the quarterback took a couple steps back and threw the ball down the field. And Knut Rockney had, was running down the field. He caught the ball and scored a touchdown. And the West Point coaching staff blew a gasket. They're screaming at the referee. They can't do that. They can't do that. They can't do that. Uh, <clears throat> actually, there's nothing in the rule book that says you can't. And it changed the way the game was played. These two college players... 100 and almost 20 years ago, changed the very nature and format of the game. Well, what is the church? God said, I have a secret, and I'm going to spring it on Satan and his emissaries, and he, they don't know what's coming. And on that 50th day, following the resurrection of Jesus, we call the day of 50, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the people who had gathered who were Jesus' followers there in Jerusalem, and they were all indwelled by the Holy Spirit and began to speak out in the languages of the Gentile nations where they came from, the mighty works of God, which, oh, you don't do that. You only speak of the mighty works of God in the Hebrew language, or maybe we can get by with Aramaic. You don't speak about it in Greek. They already had a Greek translation of the Old Testament, but it was really kind of like most of the Jewish community is like, uh, 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 nah. And all of a sudden, here are all these people from all over the Roman world that are speaking out about the mighty works of God in the languages of the places they came from. And that was the birthday of God's secret called the church. I'm taking Israel as that body through which I have been reaching out to the world. I'm setting them temporarily aside and I am establishing a new body of redeemed people the church, and it's going to cause an explosion around the world. And it did. And that is what Paul is saying. This mystery, God had a secret. To fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, you can search the Hebrew scriptures, which is three quarters of our Bible. There's not one hint, not one hint of it. It was a secret that God had, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to his holy ones, to you and me, to them, the saints, the saints, hello, St. Graham, hello, St. Tom, hello, St. Tom, <laughs> hello, St. Jin, ladies and gentlemen, we stand with an unrestrained welcome before the holy God. We are saints. We had a prayer request a few minutes ago. Please pray for this young lady who has been suffering with these addictions, and yet she seems to be hearing from God. She seems to be being shepherded by our Lord. And just like that woman at the well of, in Samaria, married five times, now living with a man, not her husband, she was the one that set off the gospel explosion in that city of Sychar. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it wonderful? God always uses 
the least likely to accomplish his purpose? We were speaking earlier about this fellow that was the spark plug, George Whitfield, the spark plug, the human spark plug God used for the great awakening in the 1720s and 30s and 40s who grew up pouring drinks in his stepfather's bar there in England. And he becomes the guy God used. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. To them, the saints, God will to make known which is what is the, are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And he has disclosed this secret to us, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, it was such a tragedy when the temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D. Wait a minute. God had already replaced that temple with a community temple called the church, with individual temples. You are the temple of God. When you came to faith in Christ, you were born, John chapter 3, you were born from above. You were made alive from above. He gave life to your spirit. He gave life to your soul. And God the Holy Spirit came to dwell within you. You are a walking temple. By the way, that only, not only means that God is going to use you in ways that are beyond your mind, your expectation, it also, by the way, means you have a great responsibility to not defile the temple of God. You are God's dwelling place. God is taking the least likely, making them his dwelling place and his instruments in this world to shatter Satan's kingdom. He changed the rules. He changed the format for the conflict and overwhelmed Satan's playbook. That's what we are. To them, the saints, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You, Christ dwelling within you, God the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Let me ask you a question, Alexi. What in the world gives you any idea that you will have a welcome with God? Well, you know, uh, I am indwelled by God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Do you think that might give me a, a good expectation that maybe God will favor me, has favored me? I think so. What more powerful proof could there be than I am a dwelling? He has made me a dwelling place for himself. Take that, Satan. Christ in you, the hope, the expectation of coming kingdom glory. Him, Christ, we preach. We preach. 
warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. What's the warning? The warning is that the one who went to the cross as your sacrifice will come back as the king. He will come back as the king, as the judge. And you need to take that warning. Jesus says in the upper room, God the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. What is the sin that sends people to the lake of fire? It isn't drugs, it isn't alcohol, it isn't adultery, it isn't even murder or theft. It's unbelief in Christ because he is the solution to all those other things. And when you reject Christ, you're saying, okay, Jesus, I don't need you. I'm willing to accept. I think I am a wonderful, just, and holy fellow. I think you can just judge me on the basis of my performance and I will have a welcome with you. And he said, no, 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 no. Sin, the, the sin that brings condemnation is unbelief in Christ. That's what leaves you in the place of condemnation and of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more. If you're going to have a righteousness that creates a welcome for you with God, it better be my righteousness attached to you, not your righteousness. He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And judgment because the prince of this world has been judged. When you are rejecting me, you are choosing, whether you like it or not, you are choosing to stand shoulder to shoulder with Satan. By the way, the scripture is very clear. The lake of fire was not created for the human race. It was created for the devil and his angels. If that becomes your ultimate eternal destination and place of habitation... It's because you rejected, you rejected redemption, you rejected mercy, you demanded justice, and you're getting the justice you demanded. Let me tell you something, folks. Fear of hell is a really good reason to trust Jesus. I've heard people say, oh, well, you just became a Christian because you were afraid of hell. Yeah, good reason. In fact, I have more confidence in those people's conversion than people who say, oh yeah, I just was looking for the wonderful good life. No. <laughs> Condemnation is a thing to flee. Christ is the hope of glory. Him we preach warning every man. There is a hell to flee. And teaching every man in all wisdom that we may prevent, present Every man, men, men, human beings of every sort, of every sort, perfect, perfect. Folks, that's a word that hurts my ears. Perfect. That is his gifting to us. We stand when we stand in his holy presence, I think one of the, we're going to be looking at him. I think we're also going to be looking down in what in the world am I doing here? That's when we're really going to understand the redemptive work of Jesus, his God's mercy and love. When we step into his holy presence, that's when we're going to have that fullest of revelations of, oh my Oh my, look what he stepped me into. I know 
There's no way left to myself. This would have been mine. It's all his gifting. It's his mercy. That's why our two favorite words are mercy and grace. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. What would he hear earlier from? Our brother Brandon, the word of God, the word, the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God. We speak God's word, God's message, that we may present every man perfect in Christ to this end. I also labor, labor. Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the apostle, was the son of a very wealthy man. They had an estate in Tarsus, which is in modern southern part of modern Turkey. He was a student of Gamaliel. You only got to do that if your daddy had enough money to send you to Jerusalem and let you live there and become a student. He was the son of a really pretty wealthy estate. And yet he set all of that aside. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, his working. Hey, what I, the Apostle Paul, am accomplishing for God's glory doesn't originate in me. It originates in God. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily mightily, mightily, with great power, with great power. And we look at Paul's experience as he's writing this letter, as I noted earlier. Where is Paul as he is writing Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians? He's under house arrest in Rome. He is in a place where he is penetrating the Roman culture in a way that he never could have engineered. Jesus got him arrested. Jesus got him threatened. He's, he's over in Judea. He's there in Caesarea. When he gets word that the Jewish leadership, they've planned his ambush as he's coming back to Jerusalem. They're going to ambush you. They're going to kill you. There isn't going to be a trial. And so Paul used his Roman citizenship to appeal to Caesar. And the king had, the governor had to consent to it. They were legally required to do it. And so at Roman expense, he gets shipped to Rome where he's sitting there for at least two years, maybe more than that, under house arrest in Rome and members of the Praetorian Guard, the sons of the wealthy, the the least accessible people in the Roman culture. (laughs) These guys are taking turns coming to that apartment being chained to him. And what do you suppose he's talking to them about? And they are being won into the kingdom. These sons of the rich and powerful Roman leadership are being won into the kingdom. And at the close of one of those three letters, Philippians, he closes the letter with, the members of Caesar's household send you greetings. I've been able to access and have access to, (laughs) by their legal requirement, the least accessible people in the empire. I couldn't have 
If I banged on their door, they would have beat the snot. Instead, they have to come and be chained to me. (laughs) And I fill their ears with gospel truth. Has he suffered? Oh, yeah. Read the account in Acts. He suffered a lot. I mean, that, that trip was pretty amazing. But God saved his life and the rest of the people on the ship. But it was pretty harrowing. But God is God is God. Paul's God is your God. He's my God. The same God, the same Savior who made use of the Apostle Paul, that, son, that Pharisee who despised Jesus and transformed him into the Apostle Paul is the same one who will use us in just as mighty and unexpected a way as he used him. Our Lord, we ask this week, this week, those people for whom we've already prayed, these men, these women who are struggling to be set free from Satan's grip, Lord, we pray again for them. But we ask for ourselves that you would grant to us open doors of opportunity to speak gospel truth ignited by the work of God the Holy Spirit, that you would grant light and life to these people just as you did for us. Every single person in this room is a testimony to your aggressive love where you sought us out and brought us home. We give you the praise and ask that this week you would use us in that same way as you used others in our life. In your name, King, King Jesus, our shepherd, we pray. Amen.